Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. which is new every Thursday, as usual, via PodcastOne.com and iTunes. Thank you for downloading, streaming, listening, however you do it. It is greatly appreciated. Another great interview for you coming in just a few minutes here on this week's podcast with Lee Kerslake, a man who, well, if his name doesn't ring a bell, you'll want to know about him because you certainly, if you're a metal fan, have a record that he played on in your collection. And I'll explain that in a second. First, a quick little update here, as usual, at the top of the show about my recent activities. Just got back from Cruise to the Edge. I was on board last week, a progressive rock cruise that I broadcast my Sirius XM radio show from every day. I will openly admit I am not a huge prog guy. I respect it. I relate to it in the sense that the audience for prog, you know, and, and that music, they feel just as sort of, um, well, actually even more so, disrespected, I guess the word would be, by the mainstream and by radio and what have you, much like hard rock and metal fans often do. Although with progressive rock, I think it's even more of a uh, a shunning of that genre of music. And those guys, uh, their fans, they really, really appreciate some coverage of their music, which I do on that cruise for four or five days. And it was fun to do. There are some bands that I saw that I liked, got turned on to, others... Eh, not my thing, but that's okay. I mean, it's okay to say that, and that's what the exploration of music is all about. Certainly tremendous musicianship, which is a hallmark of progressive rock music, no doubt. But just in terms of, you know, what I like, you know, big choruses, great vocals, big loud guitar riffs, that sort of thing. It's, you know, this progressive rock takes you in a different direction. And there's a lot of variety under that umbrella of progressive rock. I mean, all sorts of artists perform on that, and that's why some of it I liked, obviously, more than other stuff. And in the coming weeks, and, you know, this might be a good thing to kind of gauge your interest in, you guys that listen to this podcast, 
Uh, hit me with an email if you want. Email address is eddie at eddietrunk.com. I interviewed a lot of iconic progressive rock artists on that show. If you listen to my Sirius XM show volume every day, you heard me broadcast from the cruise. And I'd be curious, you know, because I know my base is predominantly hard rock, but I'd be curious how many of you would like to hear some of those interviews here on the podcast. As I tell you guys week in and week out, this podcast is only a tiny sampling of what I do on a daily basis on my Sirius XM show every day, live 2 to 4 Eastern on 106 volume. So I cannot post everything here that I do every day there. It doesn't, the math doesn't work. A, a one-day-a-week podcast versus a five-day-a-week live radio show. So I cherry-pick some stuff. And, I mean, I interviewed... Steve Howe from Yes, Steve Hackett, formerly of Genesis, Michael, Michael Sadler of Saga, Jordan Rudis of Dream Theater, Mike Portnoy, uh, Billy Sherwood of Yes, Tony McAlpine, all sorts of artists. I'm probably forgetting a few in there as well. So if any of that stuff sounds like it's really something you'd like to hear on the podcast and you don't have Sirius XM or you live outside of the U.S. and Canada where you can't get Sirius XM, because if you have SiriusXM, you can go to the app and listen to any of these things now on demand. But I'll, I'll, you know, probably do the Steve Howe interview because I mean that guy's an icon of guitar players. Portnoy's on with me all the time, so I mean we'll we'll maybe do some stuff with him. Jordan Rudis was a great conversation. McAlpine, I don't know. We'll see what I pick off from that, and maybe if you guys have some requests, I'll try to do that. If you didn't get to hear those shows, or again, you don't have SiriusXM. And you're out, especially if you're outside of the U.S. and Canada, because if you're in the U.S. and Canada, you should get SiriusXM so you can hear me live every day or hear these things on demand and every single thing that I do, because the interviews here on this podcast are just a little cherry picking of that. So it was great to be on the cruise, great to get away from the cold weather. And now I am at the time you're hearing this in Tulsa, where I just hosted a show with Saxon at the IDL Ballroom, and I'll be seeing them on the Monsters of Rock cruise, which kicks off a week from Sunday. So I have two cruises in February, and that'll be coming up very, very soon. But hosting a Saxon, a Saxon show in Tulsa, some other stuff I'm taking care of there, uh, where I go so often with so many different um, things that I do there. And then I'll have a week off and then get on the Monsters of Rock cruise. And unlike Cruise to the Edge, the Monsters of Rock cruise is 100% a direct hit for my world of rock, and I know the bulk of my listening audience, so I urge you to check in and uh, listen to that because I will be broadcasting every day from the cruise, just like I did for Cruise to the Edge, with Monsters of Rock guests. And some of the bands on board include Tesla and Skid Row and Tom Kiefer and literally, literally about 45 other bands. In addition to doing my daily radio show for Monsters, I'll also shoot an episode of Trunk Fest on it and host that cruise. I've hosted every one since it started. This is the ninth one for Monsters of Rock. So tons going on as usual. As usual, I ask you to follow me on Twitter, at Eddie Trunk, for the most up-to-the-second news, info, and updates. EddieTrunk.com is the website. And there's also an Instagram, at Eddie Trunk, and a fan page on Facebook. Few other things. The uh, the Grammys. What can I tell you? An utter joke. Continuing, continuing to be blatantly clueless, 
and disrespectful as ever when it comes to rock music, not even televising those categories. The only thing remotely rock in the entire broadcast was the appearance of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, who only ended up showing up on the show because, of course, Post Malone requested them. Post Malone is now the rapper who likes rock, who is going to get crowbarred in with a rock band every time he plays because he's become that guy. Whatever you think of him, thank God he is, because it's the only way we're getting anything to do with rock on any of these shows. The Grammys are and continue to be a lost, clueless disgrace ever since they gave Jethro Tull the award over Metallica and showed their blatant cluelessness. Nothing has changed. The nominations are utterly random, and now they don't even televise the categories. It is a pop music train wreck. It's ridiculous. It is utterly ridiculous. And lip syncing gone wild, folks. I talk about it all the time. Jennifer Lopez actually did a Motown tribute, some of the greatest vocals ever recorded, and clearly was lip syncing during it. We have lost, the world has lost their minds with what people are being sold and duped into and paying for. I'm getting an email a day with links blatantly showing Kiss lip syncing on their farewell tour. Blatantly being caught off mic with vocals coming out of the PA every day. Now, if you guys are fine with this, then literally you're fine with anything. If you are fine with going to see bands or artists and paying your hard-earned money to see performances live, which is what you're supposed to be paying for, and hearing a computer or a track... Go have fun and enjoy it. It's a joke. It is a joke. It's rampant. It has been rampant in pop music forever. We saw it in the Grammys. It was when it happened initially in pop music. Think about Ashley Simpson, Saturday Night Live, and all that. It was a huge scandal. Now, it's fine. Let me just go pay two grand to go see a band and hear a track. Everybody's going to sound great every night, right? Where is the variable in that? Where is the live in that? Where is the excitement in that? It is a joke. What some artists are doing is a joke when it comes to presenting a quote-unquote live experience. It's ridiculous. And I've said this on my volume show, and I'll say it here. If it continues and people continue to look the other way and people continue to accept artists not really playing or singing live on stage and literally playing karaoke, I'm going to start a band. And I am not kidding about this because I don't know how to sing or play an instrument. But if people are willing to pay money and look the other way and pretend it's not happening and spend hard-earned money to watch someone sing karaoke or perform karaoke, which is what it's come down to for some of these people, I'm going to put a band together. Eddie and the Tracks. Give me 50 bucks and I'll I'll lip sync my ass off for you guys. And guess what? I'm going to sound great every night. I'm never going to sound different any other night. If you've been listening to me on volume for the last couple of years, this has been a huge soapbox issue for me. It's not just because of Kiss getting snagged on it every night. It's not just because of what we saw in the Grammys. It is rampant. And it is just accepted and commonplace in rock, in pop music when it wasn't. And we're going down that road in rock, and that cannot happen. Do you know how many artists I hear from 
every single day who actually are playing live and are disgusted and pissed off to share bills and see other bands and hear from fans about how great those bands sound because those fans don't realize they're listening to a computer. Imagine if you had a band and you put the hard work and effort and energy into sounding great and rehearsed your vocals and got extra musicians if needed and put all this work into sounding great. And then you're in a festival and the band comes on after you with three or four members and sounds like the record spot on because they're running tracks. How would you feel? You're sitting there putting in all the work and you're seeing bands around you literally cheat. It's incredible. And it's happening like crazy. And ever since I've been on this soapbox about this, I can't tell you how many bands who really do sing and perform for real have reached out to me and said thank you, and how many crew people have said you're 100% right. I work for this band. I work for that band. They run computers like crazy when they play. It's ridiculous to be happening in rock. But my God, for Jennifer Lopez to stand up there with Smokey Robinson, he must have been like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, my phone, I mean, that's outside of my scope of music and my phone blew up about people saying she's clearly singing to a track. What is wrong with people today with the exorbitant ticket prices and all the entertainment options that people are willing to accept anything? They go to shows, they don't know who's in the lineup. They don't care who's in the lineup. They don't know who's in the band on any given week. They don't know if the band's actually playing live or not. It is the Wild West out there. It's utterly ridiculous. Do your homework. Support the bands that really do it live. Queen, on their last tour, actually posted a video because their backing vocals sounded so great, people accused them of running a track. So they sent out a video of their vocal warm-up saying, yes, folks, it's real. Def Leppard has defended the fact that they actually put the work in and it's real countless times. I saw Tommy Shaw from Stick stand on stage and say, we're proud of the fact that everything that comes off of this stage is real. The reason why this is happening is because the guys that are doing the real work to truly sound great are sick of it. And I can't blame them at all. All right. Uh, Today, the podcast interview, Lee Kerslake. The reason why I said before you may not know Lee as being a household name, because Lee's not. Lee Kerslake was the drummer most of his career in Uriah Heep. What Lee Kerslake is best known for, however, is having been the drummer on the first two Ozzy Osbourne albums, Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Madman. That rhythm section, Lee Kerslake and Bob Daisley. Lee played all the drums on those first two records, uh, Over the Mountain, Flying High Again, of course, Crazy Train, all of it. That's Lee Kerslake on drums. Lee Kerslake made news recently when he announced he was terminally ill and that all he hoped for before he passed away was to be able to get platinum records for the first two Aussie records, which he never had before. That was stunning to people to find out. And look, we all know Aussie Sharon have had their issues and lawsuits with Kerslake and Daisley over credits, royalties, and all that. We know that, right? But people were stunned when Lee Kerslake revealed that he did not have 
platinum records for albums he was a huge part of. Well, that has since been corrected, and Ozzy sent platinum records to Lee, who is dying, unfortunately. And Lee Kerslake, a few weeks ago when I was at NAMM, was brought to an awards event that I host called the Hall of Heavy Metal History. And while there, Lee visited my radio show. It was the first time I ever met the man, and I was incredibly moved by him. This is a guy who is battling cancer, who has been given months to live, and has an unbelievable spirit about him. And I spent time with Lee Kerslake and saw him more than what you just hear in this interview. Throughout the rest of the week, I would often run into him in the hotel, and he would give me a hug and say hello and say how thankful he was that I had him on my show. A wonderful man with with a spirit and disposition you cannot believe for a guy battling what he is battling and the diagnosis he has. And the last day I saw him when he left to go back to England where he lives, I said, Lee, I hope this isn't the last time we meet. Best of luck to you, and let's do another interview when you beat cancer's ass. And I truly hope that happens because he really was a special guy with an incredible, incredible warmth about him and appreciation for life going through what he's going through. So I was thrilled to have the time with him that we have and that you uh, will hear on this interview. I wish him nothing but the best going forward. You will get a sense of what this guy was is like and and uh, I mean, it's very uplifting. It's amazing. I was concerned, you know, going in an, an interview, talking to a guy who was terminally ill. You know, what was he going to be like? I mean, you hear it for yourself. He was amazing. We talk about the Aussie records. We talk about Randy Rhodes. We talk about Uriah Heep. Really, really, really very, very um, moving stuff, I think. So I hope you really enjoy this. Lee Kerslake of uh, Ozzy Osbourne fame telling his story. And let's certainly hope this isn't the last opportunity we get to hear from him. I want to thank Ace Trump for helping me set this up, as well as Pat Jezualdo, who had me host the Hall of Heavy Metal Awards and brought Lee over from England to be honored, which is a really classy move, again, when you consider what Lee is going through and what he is battling and his, uh, his health issues. So let's get to it in just a second here. This is really special. I think you're going to love it. Lee Kerslake, Uriah Heep, Ozzy Osbourne, just a couple weeks ago from NAM. Like all my interviews originating from my Sirius XM show, Trunk Nation, heard on Volume Daily, Channel 106, live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 Eastern, replaying 9 to 11 Eastern. And if you have Sirius XM, listen on demand as well on the app. We'll come back in a second and talk to Lee Kerslake. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Sixty seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? You can get an offer for your car with True Car. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your dog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a True Cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to True Car and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local true car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out. And uh, you guys can look at over together. You can ask questions. You get the answers you need. So there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trading your car for a new ride. 
So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Celebrity Big Brother is back, and we've got recaps of every single episode here on Rob as a Podcast. So whether you watch for the epic blindsides or for the insanity, like Ricky Williams giving a colon massage to a constipated Cato Kalin, yes, that happened. Check out our Celebrity Big Brother coverage on Rob as a Podcast on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, or the Podcast One app. Hey, if you like my show, you're going to love John Taffer, No Excuses, on Podcast One. The best-selling author and entrepreneur behind Bar Rescue is not taking anyone's nonsense, and he's telling it like it is. And this week, he's joined by president of the UFC, Dana White. Check out John Taffer, No Excuses, every Tuesday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, let's get to it. This took place in Anaheim, California a few weeks ago, just before the start of NAM. It is an honor and a privilege to talk to Lee Kerslake. Never interviewed him before. I think you will enjoy this conversation. Let's get into it now on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Good to meet you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Eddie. It's nice to be here. So when did you, uh, when, what brought you here, uh, NAM or the event tonight? Because you live in England, right? Yeah, I live in London, in Crystal Palace. Uh-huh. Uh, the event was that um, I was informed that I was being inducted into the Metal Hall of History mm-hmm. uh, by, I think, Pat. Right. You know, Pat did get goes And... It was a wonderful honor. And uh, he phoned me up and said, you know, I've inducted in your, your, you know, we'd love to see you. And I just said, well, basically, I'm a pensioner now. I can't afford to fly or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Because because of my sickness, my illness, I have to fly first class. Mm -hmm. And uh, he just said, don't worry, we're paying for everything. Yeah. And uh, that, I, I, I cried. Yeah, he's a really generous guy. He really oh, is bad. I, 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 I cried. cried my eyes out. Yeah. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, he actually put up on the page for the event uh, sort of um, uh, what they call a Kickstarter, or play, like d- donations from people to help you out to get here, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people responded and helped out as well in terms of fans and stuff, too. So I think that was really – because at the time that all this happened, the story had – you had just started to make news when you spoke about the fact which just shocked people – uh, that you did not have platinum records for the first two Aussie records, which you've, of course, played on. Uh, and I know that has been corrected, yeah, today. About, which I want to talk to you about. But before that, how did that initially come out? Like the, the, the story that you had never even gotten those awards. Did Was that an interview that someone had talked to you? Well, no, basically what had happened, there was a kind of, um, I'm not speaking to you, Ozzy and Sharon, and you're not speaking to me. Like a, what can you say, a tiff. A standoff, yeah, if you standoff. will. So it went through years and years. And I, at that particular time, I said, I would hell with it. I'm back with the heap, and I'll carry on and do my thing and not worry. At least people know I was on it. And then that, I let it go. And then last year, I was told um, that I had about a year to live, which was a, a kick in the teeth, I must admit, but it is what it is. And uh, I wanted to fulfill my bucket list. And my, one of them was I wanted to get um, a couple of records, platinums, but on my bedroom wall, because every time I went to sleep, if I, you know, if I never woke up or I did wake up, I always saw them. And I looked and I'd be chuffed 
happy to what I've done, satisfied that I, I did contribute quite a hell of a lot to his, his success. And so you and Bob, yeah. Oh, I'm going to just, just, just and Randy, come into of course, that. Yeah, it was, and not only was it me; it was Bob Daisley and Randy, so. And I thought nothing of it, but I wrote a letter from my heart, deeply from my heart, to Ozzy, saying that I'm on. You know, I haven't got long. At the moment, I'm still fighting it, and we still come up with new ideas. I might add that as well to people that I won't quit. I'm still carry on trying to live. Good, good, and. Um, I uh, uh, I lost my track because you had written the letter oh, to Ozzy, and I and um, I sent it via my manager Steve Weltman, who's also one of my close friends. He gave it to Ozzy, and uh, Ozzy re- re- replied with uh, a lovely letter back to me, and two albums. Well, in fact, there are seven platinum albums: three in one, and four in the other. On this, this, they do the dish. Oh, because they're multiple plot, times platinum. Yes, they right, are. Right. Yeah. So I got them, and I was absolutely chuffed. That was one of my bucket list that I was proud. And he sent me a lovely letter, a really lovely letter, and I just buried the hatchet and buried, and I sent a letter to Ozzy, thank you to Ozzy, and a thank you to Sharon, and I gave him my love, and that's it. You know, I think that the biggest story, the biggest thing that came out of that lead to a lot of people, and it's wonderful how it ended, which is very recent, what you just described happening. But I think the biggest takeaway in all that, and I know that everyone knows that there's been issues and drama and lawsuits and what have you between, you know, over the decades with, with yourself and Bob and that camp over, yeah, yeah, over yeah. royalties yeah, yeah, and publishing yeah. and credit and all that. And that still to some day at some point exists. But I think the biggest shock to a lot of fans was that you had never, after all these decades, you had never gotten, no one even thought of getting you those records, regardless of how much of a, of a bad relationship it would have been. You would have thought that someone would have somehow through some way, got you those records. records. Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, 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 that thought crossed my mind, but I soon threw it out because I thought, well, if it's, if it's gone this long with the problems we had with Ozzy and Sharon, the lawsuit that we lost, I thought, well, I'm not going to get them, so let, I'll, I'll forget about it. I'm not going to turn it into a hate factor because, you know, life's too short. And I don't, I don't believe in that. And now this has come about, that, am I honest? It's brought me to the head of saying, hey, let's try it one more time and just write a letter from my heart. I never thought of doing it. It was um, my manager said, why don't you put a letter together? And I'd, re- and I'd put a letter with honesty. And, it's, and it, it, I think it touched Ozzy and Sharon. And well, she- how could it not? Especially in the, in, no matter what, uh, you know... Uh, is said about them, and there's been a lot said about them. Oh, yeah, I, I, of course, but you've got to remember that she's in a business where you, the minute you say the wrong thing, the barriers come up. Right. And she is a perfect example. It's like a huge wall. Uh, sorry about this wall thing in America, but it's a huge wall comes up. As soon as you say anything untoward her, and she, she said, that the hell with it. So do you... Screw you and whatever. So, so you you had not had any sort of relationship or contact with Ozzy for decades, basically. For decades, for decades. Until just now. Until about a month ago. Oh, well, that's that's a lie. I, I did a couple of times uh, through my manager. We were sending it through her publishing company via my manager, 
Uh, just a little note. Come on, can, can you get in touch with Sharon? Lee wants to speak with her. But um, she was always away and very, very busy, apparently. And so I waited to buy my time. And then Steve, my, my manager, said, put your letter together. And I did. And I, I told the truth and I let it go. And it turned up and I've got them. And then to me, that's, that bygones would be bygones now. Water under the bridge. I think the world of Ozzy, I'll never say a bad thing because he's a sick puppy as well. And she's got a bad come up with her son who's got a very a nasty multiple sclerosis or something like that, I think. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's not fair, but it, he's got it. So they've got their problems and I've got mine. So let's let it bygones be bygones and... And you can, wake up, you can wake up every day and see those records on your wall, which is what exactly. you want. Exactly, and that means, a, that means a million bucks to me. All, the one honest thing, really honest to goodness, Eddie, I would have loved if she'd have turned up there tonight and said, surprise, surprise. I, that would have, I would have broken down, broken down, because that, that would mean a lot, everything. That would be the coup de grace of everything. It, the bygones have, go, have gone, we, we, we have a lot of respect for each other. And she'd have done that for me. I loved it. But she's very, very busy. So, I, you know, I understand. Do you, um, you know, one of the things I think that, is, and this came up the other day when you talk, and I want to talk about some other stuff in your career, of course, as okay. well. But we talk about um, those first two Aussie records, which, of course, were you, Bob, Randy, and, and Aussie. Um, the, sec the, the second record, you guys are not pictured on, on Diary. No. And uh, Tommy Aldridge, who is pictured, has – I'm sure you're aware of this. When he, when he has been done interviews with uneducated people who have talked about his playing on that record, he has always – said that it's you yeah you I know, know. And, I know and i'm sure you you've appreciated that over the years because... i've met him quite a few times and we've chatted and he's my friend yeah he said i'd never put you down ever put me down and then he said i i'd never ever put you down or lie and i knew he won't i wouldn't yeah you know i know he knows and that's the end of it but um it, it was what can you say how can i say it? he t took my place so that was it it was one of those things where she decided that he was going to be on the back of the cover, although we played, me, Bob, and Randy played it. That's the way it was going to be. Yeah, and that's not all that unusual. There are instances where that has happened, where people have been pictured that aren't actually on the record themselves. Yeah. What, are your, what are your recollections on making those two records? Are well, they, are I they can tell you, uh, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant memories, because I'll tell you the story, how it came about that I joined them. Yeah, you, I would love to want. know that. Well... I, I just left Uriah Heap. I'd had a big argument with the management because, uh, believe you me, I'm not a lover of managers. <laughs> they, uh, the, some well, of, that sounds like the one you have now you're happy with because he he's helped orchestrate the letter. Yeah, because he's also not only is he a, a manager, he's a friend. Right. And he takes, he worries about my health. My other manager didn't give a shit as long as he's eating 50%. Right. But, um, 50? 50%. Five every, zero? Five zero of everything we earned, he took. Oh my, that's a bad deal, Lee. That was it. There were, in our day in the 70s, there's no statute of limitations. So Jerry Brown had the management agency, record company, and that was a lot to own. Oh, my goodness. 
Yeah. Our friend Ace is over here. He's a manager. You taking fifty percent on anybody, Ace? Got heavy. <laughs> he's again. He's one of the nice ones. We, of you, course, you, he is. You get lucky. <laughs> I mean, I got lucky. He, Gerard, got lucky with Ace. I got lucky with Steve Walton. You know, he also manages Gerard and Ted Ensley. And he's had dealings with Genesis was one of his bands in the old days. Mm-hmm. But he's a, just, just so honest, and that. That's why he's poor. That's why he's not a rich manager. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I digress. I was in, in Shepparton Studios doing my solo album. I decided I'm going to go solo. Cause I was this would be late 70s. E- 70, it was actually 19, 1980. Okay, because 80s the year that Blizzard of Oz came out. Yeah, but so I joined. The same time. I was in the studios uh, in January. And I got a phone call from Ozzy Hoppy, who now is the, the actual agent for Iron Maiden, but then he was working for Sharon and Ozzy, phoned me up and said, um, Ozzy, and uh, I've just found out that uh, you're not working with Uriah Heep. You're free. And uh, I, would you like to join a band Ozzy's put together with Sharon? Um, and not Sharon, then it was Don, not Don Arden. And I said... Well, I'll tell you what, I'm so sick of managers and, and being t- treated like I'm a, a, a fifth person, you know, not a real member of a band. But I'll join if I like you, and, you, and, and if you like me, we both agree. Mm-hmm. We're happy. So, uh, they said, okay, well, we'll get it together. So I said, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm down in Shepherd and re- rehearsing and doing my album. He said, okay, we'll get you down at M Studios, which is the big studio. And then by the time I got there and uh, set up the drum kit, and Brandy came in and Bob came in, set all the gear up with their, their, their tournament manager, uh, Rodies. Ozzy came in in this, he looked like Huggo the Bear. <laughs> he had this immense, massive old fur coat that you would buy back in there in the 50s, you know. Uh, and all right, all right. <laughs> and, um, and he said, okay, right. I said, what will you do? And um, Randy said, what do you want to do, Lee? I said, I'll play, I don't know, and Crazy Train. Let's try them. Okay. Lee was taking us into the studio and talking about how he uh, got the, dr- uh, the drumming gig on the what was supposed yeah. to be, and Bob Daisley has said this many times, was originally positioned as a band called Blizzard of Oz. Yes, it was. We 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 both agreed. Me and Bob and Randy were very tight, to get, all of us together, because basically we were the ones always in the studio, always committed and doing the you know the drums, the bass, the guitars, the mixing, the production. We were always there, me and Bob especially, and so it was. The magic, which it was a magic, make the no bones. There was an incredible magic between me, Randy, and Bob that was put into um, Ozzy, and it suited Ozzy like a glove. What we wrote and what we came up, the way we produced it, the way we made it, it it's timeless. Him. I mean, it still sounds as good now as it as it did when the records first came out. Uh, yeah, the yeah. production, what Max Norman brought to it, uh, the the whole thing. Well, Max was such an on. Cued in with us, engineer. engineer. Anyway, I digressed. I, I, but, but let me ask you before I forget, because I know we're jumping around here. But just as we're, while we're in this period, I'd be. I, I have to ask you this: what What are your What are your What hands? My what, God, we're, we're live on the air now. Oh, so you yeah. give us a second. Um, <laughs> what What are What are your 
What were your impressions of um, Randy Rhodes when you met him? Can what... I swear? Yes. Fuck me. What a player. Yeah. I, I didn't know what I was in for. And that's why I'll carry on. As, as I said, what happened was I said, no, let's do I don't know. And so we did. You know, the thing, and I went, and all I'd said, Randy just turned, turned around and went, we got ourselves a drama. <laughs> and I just looked at Bob and I went, this guy, fuck is he, you know? And, and Bob's going, yeah, and it was just uncanny. That sound we had just Without any rehearsal, then I was getting gold, uh, goosebumps. Yeah. And I knew that we had a magic something. And then when we were in the studio, we were given carte blanche. We were given all the freedom we wanted. No one was there. We were just left by Don and David Arden. Chan wasn't involved in it at that time uh -huh. for the Blizzard of Oz. We said, uh, they came up and said, well, the album's sounded really good. Um, what are we going to call it, and what, you, and what do we want to call the band? And um, Bob said, Blizzard of Oz. Great name. Ozzy Osbourne's Blizzard of Oz. A, he always came up with great ideas, Bob. And they said, okay. So that was done by the by and went on. And then when we came out and finished it, and, uh, I believe it was Dunard and went over to America, and it just took off. He, he, he purchased, pursued it to the point where these, this record Mercury said, I think, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was Mercury said, we love it, we want it, we'll have it. And it went boom. Just boom. Literally. But it ended up coming out on Jet Records, which was Don Arden's Yeah, name. but of course, it's, it's, right. uh, it's like Jerry Bronze, Bronze Records via Mercury. Right, right, via right, Warner. Right, but right, right. I don't know the politics of those things. But anyway, it started taking off. And then uh, Don said, right, so you've got to go in and, and record another one right away now. Very quickly. Yeah, you've got to record another. Record. I want two in the back because you're going to be working so hard if you, your ass is not going to be touching the ground. So I said, oh, great. I was loving that. Just feel the, feel the popularity and fame come back. And I just went, yeah. So we went in and we started writing. And we wrote this album. And I just said to Bob, we were uncanny. Us three are uncanny. We like each other. We get on so well, and we all listen, and we all have respect. I mean, I get on the piano, and I play a piece, and Randy was playing some part of the side, and I was going, and he goes, what? what's that, Lee? It's an idea I was coming up with for you, a solo part, when you put the solos in one of the songs. He went, ah, I, I like that. Not only would he play that, he'd play his idea on top of that, and it would go through the roof, surpass it. Those were the things that we did. No, nobody put, held us back. It was no, oh, I don't like that. Right. Oh, I'm not playing that. Right. It was just go for it. And you can hear it on the, tr I mean, that's why I believe those albums stand the test of time. Yeah. Yeah, they really do. They, they are, they're an amazing, what, what, the th what the four of you guys created uh, on those two records to this day. I mean, needless to say, I talked about to Bob about this the other day. It, Crazy Train is everywhere. I mean, to this day, it's played constantly at every sporting event, everywhere you go. It's, yeah, 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 it's, yeah. It's literally everywhere, uh, seemingly. And uh, other tracks, I mean, just, just two iconic, iconic records. Well, the intro introduction to I did, the triplets, uh, to Over the Mountain. Over the Mountain, yeah. 
that was done. So I got a phone call from a guy, a friend of mine in Florida, saying, "That's the drum. The drumettes are playing it now in the uh, the, FA football, the final, the football final. They're oh, playing yeah. that beginning. Yeah, the drum. Your drum opened. Yeah. The I went, what an honor. Now, over the to mountain, me, that's yeah. an honor. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. Twenty drummers going. Yeah, I'd be going, get it on. How many live shows did you end up doing with, with that band, you personally? Um, we did an English tour, yeah, and which was extremely, extremely successful. It was really, really good. Um, we did one, two, three, four, five, two, about eight, I think, from England all the way up to Scotland and then Wales. We didn't do Touch Island, but it was an excellent, excellent. Bang. I mean, it was so hot. Yeah. Hot. Yeah. And, um, yeah, eight, well, eight, eight, eight shows. And then we got replaced because basically I, Ozzy just, Sharon was then taking over the, the idea of the band because David Arden couldn't run us. He, he found me and Bob too strong, too knowledgeable in our, well, we've been in the business then. Right. right. In the business, you know, 20, 20 years. Right. So we knew everything was going on and what was good and what was bad. So we, we weren't going to we roll over, like, oh, here's your contract, the size of the bloody Bible, you know, Gideon's Bible about that thick. I said, no, I don't want a contract. I'm not signing that. It's a load of crap. Yeah. And in the end, Sharon came over and started looking after us. And she was a sweetheart to start with. Really, really lovely. And um, she just got us all together and... She said, right, um, this is it. We were going, we're going to America. I was happy. Chuffed to death. And Ozzy said, yeah, okay. He said, she said, you're going to have to do two shows a night to start with. And Ozzy looked at her and he went, uh-huh. and he went full to one side. We went out from the bar, away from the bar, and he just went, I can't do two shows, Lee. I can't do, I can't do two shows. You have what to were they say. talking about doing, like a matinee and a late show? Two shows, back to back. You know, literally, you know, from 7.30 to 9, and then from 9.30 to oh my gosh. 10.30. Wow. And I've done it. I've done it a few times with your head just to keep the, you know, to get the popularity, keep going. And um, <clears throat> it didn't worry me so much, but Ozzy couldn't do his voice. He wouldn't take it. So he, kept, he said, you've got to say, you've got to tell Sharon, got to tell Sharon that I can't do it. So I said, okay, as long as you stand by me, I'll go and be that spokesman. I went to Sharon. I said, Sharon, I'm sorry, love. There's no way Ozzy's going to do it. He won't do it. And I said, we, we, it's no point in us doing two shows. If we can't get it across on one show, what's the point of us being there? And she said, uh, something like, well, when I say shit, you jump on the shovel. I said, it don't work that way with me, Sharon. And that's when we had our big first argument. So he dispatched you to tell her, her. and then de- that, denied, and then, and then denied you... everything about it. Oh my God! <laughs> Bless him. But we we, we, got, we got our own back when we were walking. We were doing our normal walks just to get out from the studio because it was driving us mad. Yeah. And we were walking in the fields, and Bob went to me, whispered to me, "As soon as I said, what nuclear war?" And I went, oh, "Nuclear war? And when now?" And Ozzy went, "Whoa." What 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 what's what and he, he panic and he was getting just coming up to us and what what war what war what war what's going I said no I don't want to tell you I don't want to frighten you we don't, it may not be true he was so scared he was phoning up trying to get a flight 
to anywhere. Because he thought there was a nuclear we war. We just sent him. Yeah, we just we just, we sent him up rotten so many. Times. Oh my god! <laughs> Listen, I, I I only want to keep you a couple more minutes, but I wanted to. I, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about all the years and albums you made with Uriah Heep, a band that in in the U.S. never quite got, I, I don't think, as far as you got in, in England. They certainly had your fans and your tours. We were but... bigger in America than, than England. Really? Absolutely. See, I'm, We I... were mega in America. We, really? We had KISS supporters, foreigner supporters, Earth, Wind & Fire supporters. Really? Foreign... What year are you talking? 1972, 73, uh, See, I was too young to have known it then, so I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have uh, yeah, no, that, I was, that was... We had... that. Er, so early 70s, what, you're doing arenas in the U.S.? Yeah. Your I we, we left... We, yeah, we would, started the tour supporting um, Deep Purple, and within six months we were doing our own arenas, and we were doing 10, 15,000. Everywhere you went, and every... You know how big it was with radio shows. Yeah. If you went into a, a bus or on tour, you could switch everywhere and you'd hear something. Easy Living Easy was the living. biggest song That's here. all we ever yeah. heard. Easy Living yeah, yeah. was huge. Yeah. And it took us right to a level. And we backed it up with a song called Stealing. And it got, it got blitzed by uh, the God Squad because it says, I done the rancher's daughter. And because of that single little verse... They banned it in so many shops that the do-gooders and the, the religious belt stopped, tried to stop it. Right. Made us ten times more popular. Oh, my God. That's always how it works. As, as yeah, it we, we were bigger and bigger. They, because of their alienation, they went, right. Yeah, and we were huge. And we were doing major tours. And as I said, we had foreigner supporters, Earth Wind and Fire supporters. Rod Stewart, Equal Billing, we had. Um, uh, Kiss, when they first started. They supported us in, in uh, Salt Lake City. In the, oh, you remember. In the Salt, Salt Palace. Yeah, because it was uh, Gene and Paul came in and just said to us, can we use, you know, the, all the, our back line, our, our, our um, effects? And we, I said, yeah, of course you can. You know, kick, you know if you're good, you'll kick us ass. I mean, get us off the ground. Yeah, go for it. Bloody hell. Oh, you had no idea what was no, coming. No, I didn't. <laughs> I went, what the? And I just could not believe it. And I just said, Mickey, me and Mickey went, they're going to go mega. They are now mega. Look yeah. at them. What a great idea. Yeah. All yeah. that makeup, all them boots and everything, the guitars and the fire. And, you know, and they, I've stayed friendly, although I haven't seen him for, oh, quite 30 odd years. I just get off the. I spoke to Gene mm -hmm. last week because I was going to come and interview me, uh, chat with him so he could film it. But unfortunately, they're up to their neck in work and he hasn't got the time. Right, right. So we're going we're gonna to meet in England with him and Paul. Well, one last thing. Yes, you had sir. mentioned during a commercial break, I thought it was fascinating. You had a, a, a friendship with John Bonham? Yeah, I knew John, yeah. And you, you had still told the story, which I had no idea about that. Well, I was point... told, I, 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 this is a, I was told this story by a, a, a roadie that worked for John, that um, he chose me, uh, suggested me for the film, and if anything ever happened to him. I don't know why that came about, why. There was talk of Zeppelin doing a film about... Yeah, about, yeah. about them. Like, you know, like the, the Queen thing that's happened? Biopic, right, yeah. yeah so I think the, the early days, 
there was going to be a Led Zeppelin journey. And I was asked, I wasn't asked, I was suggested, and John wanted me very strongly to do the part. But John Paul Jones put it at squash, and he had a lot of power then. John Paul Jones said, no, he was very superstitious, and it was squashed completely. The whole film, the whole thing. He didn't time. like it, the idea. And, and the last thing, Lee, you, you touched on this. You know, you, you, you said you were told by doctors you had a, a, a year to live. Yeah. Um, you, you seem, I mean, I, I don't know what, you know, all the ins and outs of your health situation, but you seem in great spirits and you seem, you, you look great to me. Uh, Thank you. What is, the, what is the, the prognosis and what are you dealing with and what uh, are you battling? I, my, my, my cancer's come back at an alarming rate. It's raced through. It's gone. Uh, when I first found out I had it, I should have been dead. That's what the, the consultant What type of cancer? It started with prostate. My PSA, which is, it was 2,025. Well, you're usually in an emergency at 200. Mm. And I was 2,025. I never knew. And they put it down to the fact that the strength of my body and willpower, I pushed it to one side. I didn't know I had cancer. I didn't know I had diabetes. I didn't know I had sleep apnea. <laughs> you know? Right. But uh, I, I don't, I don't waffle in it. I've no, I've no time for it. I know it's there because it reminds me of the big spears in my back when it's because it's getting to my bones now. I'm getting bone cancer, but there's a, there's a, not a cure. There is a, um, shall I say, a remedy, possible remedy. And when I spoke to my consultant just before I came out here, they went, "We're going to put you on this Zelmenida," and I said, "Oh, yeah, okay." It's very expensive. I said, oh, goody. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be, I'm gonna be out with those rich people. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I, they, I, I, did, I just said to them, no, don't fuck me about it. Don't mess me about it. How long have I got? And that was a year ago. And, and, and now it's, it's been eight months since they said that. So it's, it's now. I, it, if I'm going to be alive after birthday, so it's a win. And I don't intend to pop yet because I'm, I've just finished my album called Eleven Teen. You've got a record coming. Yeah, I've done it. I finished. I finally finished it just Good before it came out in Mixer yet. And it's called Eleven Teen. Okay. And the reason it's called Eleven Teen in my nutty way is because when I was at school, I used to question it to the school, the, the school t maths teacher. I was extremely well, uh, well good. At, I was extremely good at maths in those days. And I said to him, look. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 19, 17, 20. It rolls with the tongue. <laughs> so what's wrong? Why is it missing? What are these Greeks done to us? <laughs> and he just used to look at me as if I was nuts. So I... 11. Uh, 11. Who else is on the record? Uh, just me and uh, Jack Liberetto, who he used to work with um, um, uh, Jack and uh, uh, E-Type Boys. Okay. And who were faithless before that. And okay. we were quite big in, in England. And he is a genius. He's, um, he's up, up there with Bob, uh, Randy, and with um, Mick. He's up there with the quality and Randy. He's incredibly, incredibly talented. And him and me did it between us. He played the guitar and the bass. I did the keyboards, the strings, the drums, vocals, and the harmonies. And the when are you going to put it out? Well, we're just going to see what happens. We're trying to get a record deal. That's yeah. the tough part. Yeah, yeah. Because you know what it's like with record companies. Yeah. They go, oh, yeah, you got a record. Okay, well, we'll give you 
the ten p an album, and then we won't do fuck all, will you? Right. You know, and I go. I'm just gonna just. I brought a couple over with me, and I'm gonna see and get some help. Because it, it, the thing is now, and in my age, and, and, and it is what it is. I'm 72, and I'm only on pension. There's very little money coming in, so that's why I'm trying to get this record off the ground to fund me to get me again, so I can come back over to America and do this what I'm doing now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I can't tell you. I mean, it's it's an honor to meet you, and I'm I'm so glad that this uh, we had a chance to spend some time together today. And when you're ready with the record and you put it out, however you put it out, I'll give you my info, and Ace knows where to get me, okay. and and drop me a line because I'll put the word out for you. I'll do anything I can to let people know well, how to get it once I, you have it out there. I do appreciate that, yeah. Eddie. And if, if, if any chance there is, I know I'm being a bit cheeky now, but. What the hell? <laughs> I've got nothing to lose. Yeah. I'm trying to fathom out with Pat a way of funding, get funding, because there's a documentary on me at the moment. Okay. And we're on a lay low because finances have run. But I've already done an inter- I've done a chat with Ian Pace of Deep Purple. He's in his house. I flew over to Ireland and did it with Joe in the Guinness. With Joe Elliott? Yeah, did yeah. the Guinness factory. So yeah, yeah. him and me are in the Guinness Hall of Fame. Okay. We did that. And I was going to be with Gene Simmons. And I'm going to get Dave, Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd. I'm going to meet with him. Awesome. Hopefully. So I'm trying to do this. Sounds doc- like a great project. Well, they want, she's this woman, Taylor Goodman, who's a director. Of, she owns London Bridge Films. We chatted away, and she was so in awe of me of my, what I've got wrong with me. So I want to do a documentary on your life story because I told her a bit about it only in passing. Yeah, and so you've got to. I've got. I want the world to know. So we're doing a documentary on me, how I started, and unfortunately the funds have dried up. So, so is there a page or something where people can go if they want to donate to I, it? I, I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure how it's done. I, I don't know if I can see. To, Ace is a, a good friend, but I don't know how it's worked. What do we do? When do we? I'll find out. through. And you guys let me know. We'll put it well, out there if, for if, you. And I'll if, put it on my social media and everything for you. What if I gave you this card of Taylor Goodman? Then you, you know, yeah, you we'll find work, out. Then, yeah, I'll connect okay, with Ace. Yeah. yeah, we'll get it. I'll, I'll help out however I, I can. Oh, yeah. I love you, man. For yeah, that. for really, sure. Really, it's, it's, a, it's something because I want to then, once I know it's starting to kick, I've got a, a couple of charities I want to donate some of it to. Right. And one of them's doggies. I'm a dog lover. Okay. I love, I've got a dog at home. Yeah. I love them. I sure. love them all. And I've, and I've also wanted to donate some money to the charity for the children who are suffering big time mm-hmm. like guys hospital you want to see some of them kids they're four and five and yeah. they've got worse than i've got yeah yeah and that's unfair life's unfair for them yeah so i want to do something about that so if i get it motivating to get it going you know the album and the documentary i could i want to donate some money to you're them. not going anywhere lee you got a lot to do man you got an <laughs> album you got a documentary well, that's, that's, stay don't busy. let those doctors tell you anything man you got a great spirit about you <laughs> i got a feeling next year we're going to be sitting here doing another interview about all these projects i hopefully. love it i love it all right Eddie, i love it I all right well god it. bless you man i hope that's the case god all right you, i'm rooting for you all the way and oh. uh it's an honor to meet you thank you thank for you, some time today thank you sir Well, as I said at the top, I really, really enjoyed talking to that guy. And as you can see, 
an amazing spirit that he has, especially given what he is going through. And as I also said at the top, I spent a lot of time talking to him after that interview throughout the course of the week. Really, really special guy rooting for him hard to defy the odds and to stick around. And who knows, maybe we get a chance to chat once again. Thanks to Lee Kerslake. Hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. Thanks to Katie Irizarry. She's the producer of the Eddie Trunk podcast. Remember, follow me on Twitter at Eddie Trunk, where I'm most active. Also, EddieTrunk.com, the official online home with all my appearances on the homepage. Instagram at Eddie Trunk. And there's a fan page as well at Eddie Trunk on Facebook. You guys have yourselves a great week, and I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode of the Eddie Trunk podcast. As always, free, podcastone.com or iTunes. Time to get in shape with Ben Greenfield Fitness on Podcast One. Tune into the latest health, fitness, and multi-sport research, non-run-of-the-mill interviews with exercise and medicine professionals, and new cutting-edge content from the top personal trainer and wellness coach in the nation. You've heard me talk about uh, using infrared light and red light therapy, guys, uh, on your skin, cellulite. Uh, I was going to say ladies, but guys have cellulite too. Download Ben Greenfield Fitness every Wednesday on Podcast One or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.